So this is the night for the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit who is the dweller. When 1 John 4 says that God dwells in you and you dwell in God and when you dwell in love, you dwell in God and all the dwelling that gets spun around, it's the Holy Spirit inside of you. And on God's calendar, this is not ordinary time. We are in a week where heaven's heartbeat is just pounding and jumping out of their chest because they remember what happened this week and the cloud of witnesses are interceding and longing that we'll discover who the Holy Spirit really is. This is the week. This is the week when Moses received the Torah. When the Father himself came down from heaven and put himself on a physical mountain to meet with a man face to face. And it was so ripping in the atmosphere and ripping in the spiritual dynamics that there was lightning and there was thunder and it was shaking and smoke was rising and glory was over the mountain. It was a demonstration like this earth has never seen since. And God came down to say, here's my heart, Israel. Can I love you? Can I love you? And he, he has, yes, the tablets and everything that Moses wrote, but the purpose of all of that was Father saying, I want you to know who I am is. I'm the one who honored the blood. I'm the one who brought you out. I'm the one who wants you to be my treasured people forever. I'm the one who wants to bless you to a thousand generations. I'm the one that wants to make you a blessing to all nations for all time. And I want you to come into oneness with me. And so here's the culture of what heaven values. We call them commandments. That's really not accurate. He's saying, here's my culture. These things will help us be in oneness. Our hearts won't have a glitch between us because we'll be valuing life and we'll be valuing every man, woman, and child I created. And we're going to love them well together. And you're going to learn how to love them with me. And so he puts his heart out there, totally vulnerable, and says, May I love you? Can I love you? Some things are the same in the spirit as they are in the natural, you know. Here's a a healthy, if you will forgive my analogy, here's this healthy male saying, I am in love with you. (laughs) Israel, will you be my bride? 
Israel's been in the earth a bit. <laughs> so she's not too sure about love. Not too sure love is safe. Not too sure I want to get that close to anyone. A lot of wounds, a lot of relational dynamics. Tried out some gods. They were good at times, not so good at other times. And, and just, and he just keeps saying, I love you. But because of their wounds, they have a hard time believing he loves them. In fact, in Hosea, the Lord tells Hosea, tell Israel that I know they're still, after all these years, calling me Lord and calling me Master, but someday they're going to call me Husband. And it was right that Hosea carried that word because you know the story. Hosea was asked to marry Gomer, who was a prostitute and remained a prostitute throughout their whole wedding and their marriage. And Hosea held steady. I just loved her. And sometimes when I think about the father's love for Israel, I love Broadway musicals. I think of Man of La Mancha, and if you haven't seen it, it's okay or if you haven't read Don Quixote. But Don Quixote, to summarize it, most people don't know if he's, if he's just brilliant and lives in a different realm than everybody else and is tender and loving, or is he senile? But he goes into this bar, and there is this waitress, and everybody is being vulgar with the waitress, and she's just in this, and, and he goes, oh, your name is Dulcinea. You're a woman of nobility. I see you. She goes, are you crazy, crazy? And he insists, you're Dulcinea. I see you and who you really are. And so for generations, the father keeps saying to Israel, Israel, you're, you're, you're my Dulcinea. You're... You're my chosen one. I love you. And that is celebrated this week. This, in this exact same week, is when Naoma turned to Ruth. Naoma, who says, I am the bitter woman, and she still was calling herself, I'm bitter. Because I'm in my healing journey, and I'm ticked off with God, and God did not treat me good. I'm bitter. Bitter about it. I don't get what God's doing. And she's in a different place, but similar to Israel, of receiving love is just a challenge. And having hope reborn just seems like such a stretch. But she's grateful for Ruth and she wants to bless Ruth. And, and she says, Ruth, go lay at the feet of Boaz. Ruth's not Jewish, she doesn't understand. But she knows she wants the God Naoma wants. She sees Naoma wanting to know this God, but mad with this God. But she's intrigued by this God. And she thinks, if this God is asking that, I will make myself vulnerable. So on Mount Sinai, Father comes down and makes himself vulnerable. Ruth comes down, and she doesn't know what this man's going to do. She doesn't know what his response is going to be. She just helplessly lays down at his feet. It was at this week she laid down at his feet. And he 
he rose up a man of honor and said, I will redeem you no matter what it takes. And because Naoma, even in the midst of her healing journey and her bitterness, wasn't totally self-consumed, but she had a love for Ruth in a way that only the kingdom works. Her love for Ruth pulled Naoma out of her bitterness and into the lineage of a grandmama with a baby in her arms and becoming in the lineage of David and Jesus himself. You see, this week is also the week of the threshing floor. This is the end of the harvest time on the biblical calendar. And they would take the wheat like this. <laughs> they would pull it up from the ground and they would throw it. And with their pitchforks and others, instruments that I don't know the name of, so there you are, they would take it and they would throw it throw it to separate to separate the chaff and the wheat to see what is good and if you're in the journey with Jesus you probably have been on the threshing floor lately probably had a little bit of questions or healing journey and you feel like I don't know what's going on or something new is happening or just the Tossing it up and the grain falls here and what you don't need falls off here. And so this is the week of Sinai. This is the threshing floor. This is the time when David went to the threshing floor and said, I'm going to build a temple for the most God, high God, and it's still there today. This is the week when Ruth met her Boaz. And this was the week when the Holy Spirit came. There is a process. We transcend. Israel transcended. They they went up, yes, wonderful, but they couldn't hold it, and they came back down. They would go up and down. <gasps> I got this revelation, and down. Because they would transcend and come back down, but they, they couldn't grab the revelation and hold it, so they couldn't transition. Jesus did a transcending He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers are there. He says, I am he. <laughs> A whole battalion crumbles. He transcended. He popped out of the earthly realm and showed him I'm the king of glory. And then he came back down and offered his wrist to be bound. After the resurrection in John 20, he walks through a locked door, something he had never done before. He transcended, and he did something. But then on the other side of the door, he says, here, you want to touch me? You want to feel me? He was, he was up and down. And sometimes we're like that in the journey. We get a revelation. We get a breakthrough. We get a hope. 
and then we come back down. That's normal, you know. And then when Jesus was ready to go and to ascend, you know he sent them to the upper room. But they went in different men. You see, throughout all history until John chapter 20, people looked at the word of God and they received it in their brains and in their hearts. But they didn't have the Holy Spirit within them. So they didn't understand. And so when John 20, it literally says that Jesus went inside of himself and loaned his breath, loaned the Holy Spirit to them. And he began explaining in those 40 days the scriptures. And now we're in a whole new church age where now it's not just what can I see in my mind. I'm realizing in the spirit this is God. That this is not a book. This is the essence of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is this word. And somehow in a mysterious way, he made it flesh but this is the aroma. This is the substance in these pages of Jesus himself. And they were beginning to get the revelation because now they had the spirit. But it was only alone. They go into the upper room. And they wait seven days. It's 50 days, right? Passover Three days in the grave, 40 days Jesus is visiting, seven days in the upper room. Pentecost begins this Thursday evening around sundown. I have um, been telling, in all tenderness this week, I've been telling the Holy Spirit, I don't think I know you. I don't think I really know you, but I sure long to. I, I've been undone, and I love being undone because it reminds me I don't have a clue about anything. The, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and this is one thing that's really undone me this week. Throughout the church, we say the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues. Well, they spoke in perfection and articulated the message in numerous languages of different nations. No translator needed. I need a translator when I travel. No translator needed. It's like, who are you, Holy Spirit? For the first time, they preach with power and eloquence. For the first time, they're seeing how the prophets connect to the Messiah. These, like the scribes and Pharisees said, these are ordinary men, uneducated men. But listen to them. Peter walks by and his shadow heals the sick. 
Acts 2 and Acts 4 says they were of one heart. And, and they were so filled with love for him and one another and all the others. They just brought all their resources together so that nobody would have a need, not just their little group that was needy, but even the historians of that day, like Josephus, says they were known for taking care of the homeless and the widows and the orphans. They were known truly by their love. The Holy Spirit brought them radical personality changes. I've been captured again and again by the story of Stephen. They're feeding the people, and somehow word comes back that the widows are feeling slighted. I'm going to tell you the story, and I'll let you decide whether or not we, as a body of Christ in the West, operate this way. There was just a little murmur that the widows were feeling slighted. So they called in the highest spiritual authorities in the world, the disciples who had been with Jesus, because to them every person was vitally important. And if one widow felt slighted, we must call in those who were with Jesus. They did not ask for volunteers to fix the food or volunteers to serve it. They went into an intentional intensity of prayer saying, Holy Spirit, who do you want to serve the widows? And they had to be people full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're told Stephen did signs and wonders, which eventually got him in trouble. But where was he doing signs and wonders? He was so dripping in the Holy Spirit that as he would hand food to the widows, they would get healed. Their senility would lift. Their depression would lift. They were getting healed, body, soul, and spirit, by the ones who were just serving the food. The spirit was so full in them. So full. I remember in my 20s loving this quote by William Law who said, why do we as a church not look like the early church? Has the Holy Spirit lessened in power and essence? Certainly not. We have never intended to. They come and they get Stephen. He's an ordinary man. And they're assaulting him and assaulting him. And, and right before they stone him, there's this beautiful line where it says, and they all thought his face was the face of an angel because he was so peaceful. His face, the face of an angel, as they're assaulting him verbally. And as they're assaulting him and preparing to stone him, 
He just says, I see the heavens open. I see Jesus, the son of man. Don't hold it against him, Jesus. And he refused offense. Do we know that? We're so alive. There's ever decreasing, decreasing measures of being a citizen of earth in us. We're looking more and more like a citizen of heaven. Some of you who've read our newsletter, this will remind you of Mufida who heads up the the, the fortified widows is what they call themselves, and they're ones whose husbands and children have been martyred for the faith, and they travel, and they evangelize, and they pray, and Mufida and some of the women were arrested, and they'd been arrested for three days, and they were being beaten horrifically, and Mufida was just cried out. She says, I can't take it anymore, Lord. Kill me before they do anything else. And as soon as she said that, all the women at the same time surged and began speaking in tongues. And the atmospheres changed and their tormentors could not move and could not come near them. And these men got so fearful, they we don't know this power. We had five men. It's been probably 10 or 11 years ago, who were getting ready to be beheaded. We have a picture of it because one of the ISIS soldiers was going to video it and put it on for everyone to see what they did to Christians. We have a picture, and the men are kneeling, and they're bound, and they've got the knife right up, and they said, without any cure, anything, suddenly all the men started praying in tongues, and they couldn't move the knife. Their arm was frozen. And that day, over 50 ISIS soldiers came to Jesus. Do we really know him? Do we really even know? There's a ministry out of Hong Kong that works with cocaine and heroin addicts. And they don't have meds to help them. They don't have anything like that. So they will tell them. They come to Christ. They pray for him. They say, when you Start having withdrawals or addictions, pray in tongues. And they do, and the symptoms dissipate. Who is this God inside of us? Who is? Well, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that's the most defamed, aligned, mistreated, marginalized, minimalized by believers. Not by the world, by us. When Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, let your body be a living sacrifice, he wasn't talking about eat well, exercise. He was saying, Jesus wants to be in the earth again, but he doesn't have a body. Can his spirit come in you? Will, will you give him your body?
The glory of the latter days shall exceed the glory of the former days. Some believers say, oh, let's go back to Garden of Eden. And the Holy Spirit says, why? All they had was human abilities to understand God, and they were incapable of really receiving love and, and bonding with him. They needed a long time. And, and all they had was their own flesh to resist the tempter. You have more than Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. You have the Spirit of God himself in you. John 14, 15, and 16, to reveal Jesus to you, to saturate your mind and your heart with tenderness and love and healing and courage and faith and forgiveness and a new creation personality. And when temptation comes, you have the power of God inside you to resist it. You have more than Adam and Eve. And Moses went to Mount Sinai, but you got more than Moses. Because Moses' beautiful, darling little personality didn't get healed. He struggled with anger all his life. None of this, just in case anybody's getting the residue, none of this is criticism, correction, none of that stupid stuff. This is love calling out to you tonight. This is the Holy Spirit saying, please, pretty please, I have so much more I can be. Don't put me in categories of I do tongues, I do signs and wonders, I do prophecy. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm a person. And I'm a person with a heart. And I can be grieved and I can be quenched because I won't push you. I am the one who is like the Father and Son. I will love you forever. I will always love you. And I will always go at your pace. But this Pentecost, I'm telling you again, can I love you? It doesn't matter if you're in the best season of your life or you're in the midst of a wilderness, or if you feel like you're on the threshing floor, he said, I'm here. I can, I can touch your mind and your heart. And if you're stuck in your healing journey, don't think. Thinking is good. God is in it. But when you hit that roadblock and you still don't see God, Holy Spirit, and if you want, just worship him. Pray in tongues. Let me tell you this. I've be recently been reading the biographies of Richard Rumbrand, and then I've also been reading his wife's biography. And if you don't know him, they were in a Romanian communist prison for 14 years. Richard was in solitary confinement for four years in a basement, never saw the light of day for four years. Continual beatings. And if you want to really be rocked, read his book, God in Solitary Confinement, because to keep his sanity, he would make up sermons and preach them to God. They're delightful, actually. 
But he said, after the beatings, and when he wasn't being beat, they would put him in a room with blasting and loud re-education for hours and hours on end, just bombarding him. And he said, I thought I was losing my mind, and I think I was insane at times, and I wouldn't. He said, but when I thought I had no energy, the Holy Spirit would begin speaking in tongues in me. And it was like I just fell asleep and blacked out, and when I would wake up, my mind was clear again. His wife, Sabrina, says that same thing. She was in a separate women's prison, and she was talking about how one night she was, and it's a, a wooden box that they would put them in all night long, and it was just enough to stand, and it would be shut with just a few holes for air, and you had to stand up all night long after being beaten and et cetera, and no food and et cetera. And she said at times she thought she was going to go mad in that claustrophobic box. And she said the Holy Spirit would start speaking in tongues, and I would just kind of lean back, and I don't know if I blacked out or if I slept. I just know when I woke up, my mind was clear. In the last newsletter, some of you read, two women were called to the house of a man. His wife had been depressed for seven years because her twin boys, when they were born, they had no response. For seven years, they didn't move. They didn't speak. They didn't respond. Two women went in, and they said, Holy Spirit, what do we do? And he said, just begin washing the baby boys with water. Just bathe them. Tell them how much I love them. And just pray. And before the day was over, both boys were speaking and walking. Dear ones, he's just loving you tonight. And he has heard the longings of your heart. And your longing may not be quenched by anything at all that we've shared tonight, but he's at least saying, I'm the one. Rest and fight me. And fight me. I'm dwelling in you. I'm not just here so you can pray for others, prophesy to others, and I'm here for you. For you. When uh, I was sitting on my back porch this afternoon and praying about tonight, and I was saying, "Holy Spirit, what, what are you? What are you feeling?" And for some reason, He's had me on Broadway musicals lately. <laughs> what can I say? And He took me to this place on Fiddler on the Roof. And the man comes in and 
says to his wife, Do you love me? Do what? If you're just worn out, you have indigestion, go lay down. He goes, No, 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 no. Do you love me? We've been married 25 years. I've cooked your meals, washed your laundry, raised your kids. I milk your cow. He said, but do you love me? And he said, on the day that we got married, I was nervous. The wife says, yeah, I was too. He said, my father told me we would grow to love each other. So after 25 years, I want to know, do you love me? So not for signs and wonders and not for others. The Holy Spirit just is very sweetly saying tonight, do you love me? Do you love me? And can I love 